Welcome everyone to the midweek edition of Couch Potato Diary. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. It is obviously a busy time as always in the world of sports, so thank you for joining me on the show today. As always, you can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. We are coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is your one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary. They have a fantastic team who are ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Check them out online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. Calm. Uh, so we are reeling from a disappointing loss by the Calgary Flames on last night. What day is it today? Wednesday? So last night would be Tuesday. Tuesday night was the disappointing loss by the Flames. They get back at it tomorrow, and the season's on the line. And now they are very much, they and their fan base, very much staring the reality in the face that they might get eliminated on home ice by their heated, hated, however you want to describe it, rival. And that um, that, that would be just remarkably disappointing. And I'm not going to do the... Uh, not going to do the where do the flames go from here show just yet because they, they still, I mean, where they go from here is back to the dome tomorrow for game five and try to figure out how to get back on track. It has been quite frankly, rather abysmal. I, I have not liked uh, basically since the second period of game two, I haven't liked a whole lot of the way the flames have played. I think Gaudreau is playing well. Um, I think Michael Backlund is having a very good series, but aside from that, they need more from Kachuk. They need more from Toffoli. They need more for, they need anything from Yarncrock. and no Tanev has definitely hurt. Um, I vented a lot of my frustration about that last night on game over Calgary. And I just, I didn't like the way he was utilized when there's obviously still something going on. So I don't think Daryl's had a very good series. I think they need more from their coach. We will see if the flames are able to get that coming up tomorrow. We will break it all down on game over Calgary. Uh, as far as today's program is concerned, I mean, I'm sure you figured it out. You downloaded it. There's a title up there, so you can see it. But uh, we're focusing on the NHL draft. Tony Ferrari joined me to talk about uh, the future newest member of the Montreal Canadiens and just the, the process of looking at some of these prospects and what we can learn about them. So really enjoy this conversation. I hope you do as well. He is everyone's favorite bald hockey draft prospect analyst. He is Tony Ferrari, and he joins us here on the uh, show Couch Potato Diary here from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Uh, Tony, thank you for doing this today. How are you today, sir? Not too bad. Not too bad. Happy to talk some prospects and hockey in general. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to get into it. Um, so a few weeks ago, the Montreal Canadiens won the Shane Wright sweepstakes. What? I, I'm, first of all, we are all under the assumption that it is the Shane Wright sweepstakes. That has not changed, correct? No, I think there's a few people out there, even up fairly prominent Montreal media member that really seemed to have a vendetta against Shane Wright. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's really a question as to who should go first overall, just based on upside assuredness of being a, an actual NHL player and kind of everything that goes into scouting in general. So I think Shane Wright's a clear cut number one guy this year. There hasn't really, he's given an opportunity for people to challenge him, but no one's really gotten to that point where they have. So, so this is more potentially what hasn't necessarily gone right for him than someone else, pardon the pun, um, other than someone else coming up from behind and like really making a push. Yeah, it's almost like because he had the year off last year, the, aside from the, I think, 12 games at the U18s, if that even, um, he just hasn't had that development time. And I think that's a, a big problem for a lot of guys this year is there, there seems to be this stagnation and development with this draft class where 
yeah, last year, obviously we saw guys not get drafted because they were in the OHL or their leagues weren't playing as much. And you saw some stagnation there, but I've argued since the start of this year, really, that this is the draft class that's been most affected by the COVID-19 pandemic because they've had two incredibly pivotal seasons interrupted or canceled because of COVID. Right. And this is kind of an important time for one's development. These years are, are times where like you can see a lot of guys making those jumps. Um, obviously, it's been difficult for them. For you, how, how has that affected things for you as you've kind of weighed through? OK, this guy's played eight games. This guy's played 85 in the last two years. How, how, how does that affect things for you? It affects things, certainly, but especially with a guy like Shane Wright, thankfully we got a, a year before that with his exceptional status season where he was putting up numbers that were go- better than McConnor McDavid in his exceptional status season, and they were going to match John Tavares' record for scoring in the OHL as a 15-year-old. So while I'm not saying Shane Wright is either of those two players, but he showed that potential at one point. He showed that offensive flair and the ability to kind of contribute offensively. And you've seen the the marketable in- improvement on his defensive side of the game as well through his time in the OHL. So I think you look at a guy like Shane Wright, and my argument all year has been, okay, this kid's just a year behind. Give him one more year in the OHL, and he's going to be able to put up the 150 points that we all kind of expected because he almost got to 100 this year. And I think one of the interesting things with Shane Wright is you look at his scoring month by month over the over the course of the year. And it's gone up every single month in terms of scoring rates. And um, even in in December where he went to the world juniors, he only played, I think four or five games, but he had like two and a half points in those four or five games. And you're you're looking at this guy improve steadily throughout the year offensively and his defensive game never wanes. So I think with him, you're looking at a guy that maybe he just missed that year and he's a year behind, but that potential I think is still there. Do you think that changes what Montreal might do with him going into to next year? Because for a long time, it was a lock. You're the number one overall pick. You're coming to the NHL. That's changed a touch. Um, but do, do you think that that happens with Shane Wright? Or do you think that he needs that uh, kind of red shirt season down in the Ontario Hockey League again? I've, I've argued all year that I'd put him back in the OHL just for one more year. And I don't think it's going to happen because the only players that we've seen go back to their club team before playing in the OH or in the NHL are Owen Power and Eric Johnson since the I think basically since the turn of the century and it's kind of interesting because both those guys were defensemen both of them were going the college route and I think with Shane Wright he's a forward could he play in the NHL next year yeah probably I think he could be a pretty serviceable 3C in the NHL but you give him that one more year in the OHL and then let's be honest Kingston's not the greatest team in the world I mean Shane Wright was the guy carrying that load all year long it felt like so if they don't make the playoffs or they don't go on a deep run, bring them in at the end of the season, kind of like teams do with college free agents, kind of like Owen Power did with the Buffalo this year. So you still get him in that first year right after his draft, but you just give him a taste of NHL action. You don't need to rush him into the league and force him to play these big minutes against guys like Matthews, Crosby, McDavid, where it's, it's going to be a little bit overwhelming if I'm being completely honest, because it's overwhelming for any player. So right. I think getting him that extra time in the OHL, replacing that year he kind of missed, I, I think it'd be hugely beneficial, but, NHL teams are NHL teams and they're going to rush into the NHL because that's what happens with first overall picks, especially forwards. You would think though with Montreal, like we, we just not first overall, but not far away with Kakaniemi, where it was okay. We're we're just gonna we're jumping into the deep end. Okay, maybe we're not. Maybe we will playoffs. Ah, probably not playoffs. It, it was just so up and down, and now he's not even on the team anymore. You would think a lesson may have been learned here. I certainly hope so. And I give Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon credit. They they've said everything right. Everything you wanted to hear them say, they've said it. So I think both those guys have a pretty good head on their shoulders. I think Jeff Gordon's shown he's got the ability to rebuild teams. And obviously some of the young guys on New York haven't lived up to expectations, but I think that's some of the development there. I think that's some of the New York Ranger issues that have happened since he left, but 
he's shown the ability to build up a, a really solid prospect pool. And he's doing so in Montreal with a lot of the trades he made this year. It was really interesting that he was getting picks and prospects that were about 20 years old so that he had those guys that were almost ready to come into the NHL. And I think he's done a really good job assembling prospects and assembling guys to fill that pool out and Shane Wright and whoever they get in the, with a later pick in the draft, a Calgary flames pick that I'm sure you know about uh, <laughs> is going to be interesting because they've got a ton of draft picks over the next few years. And they're really going to be able to restock that, that draft uh, prospect pool. And it's going to be interesting because I think Montreal has a chance to really become a powerhouse with some of the picks they have coming up. That was going to be my next question with, with um, right. And with the, the pick that the flames have got one playoff goal out of so far, uh, <laughs> not that there's any bitterness or anything, um, but uh, it's okay. With that, it's five on five scoring has been fantastic. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but with that, and then also what Montreal has uh, around right now, highlighted by Cole Caulfield, where does this kind of leave the, the Montreal Canadians in terms of like prospects and building for the future, which is obviously the plan there now. I think it's fantastic for them. I think, you look at a, a one-two down the middle of Nick Suzuki and Shane Wright over for the next few years. Like you look at that, and if they have that for a decade, that's a really nice one-two punch of two forwards who should have the ability to score seventy-plus points in the NHL and also be two-way forces. And while I think some of the kind of hype around Shane Wright being the next Patrice Bergeron is a little bit ridiculous, because to me, Patrice Bergeron's the Sidney Crosby of defensive forwards, and it's just he doesn't come around ever. Um, but I think Shane Wright has a really good chance to be that Ryan O'Reilly-esque player, the, the guy that does contribute at both ends of the ice, scores the big goals in the playoffs, has the ability to dangle when he needs to, but he's still going to be able to play that meat and potatoes game that works in the playoffs. So I, I think it sets them up greatly, and, and they've got all the, the prospects and young guys coming up, Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, uh, Caden Gooley's coming up. They've got a lot of players, and then all the picks that they acquired over the last mm-hmm. little while. I think they've done a great job and they're, they're, they're going to be a scary team in that, that ridiculously loaded Atlantic division. Um, so after Shane writes, what's the kind of the, the next like tier, like it, it, there's obviously at least a bit of a drop, but what is kind of that next chunk in the draft? I guess for me, it's, it's Logan Cooley and Logan Cooley alone. I think he's a okay. player that if you were to make an argument for Shane, Wright To not go first overall, Logan Cooley would be the one guy I half-heartedly argue for. Um, and I still probably wouldn't do it, but I, I think Logan Cooley is a really, really nice player. He's got a lot of the similar traits to Shane Wright, a little bit more flash and flair. His game isn't quite as refined and complete, but he's got the intelligence. He's got the skill. He's got the ability to play at both ends of the ice. He plays center. He's a little bit smaller, so he, there's always going to be the concern there, but I think Logan Cooley is a really fun player to watch. I think he's a guy, a guy that is going to make some team really happy at number two, and I think David Juracek and Yaroslavkovsky are two guys that people want to push in that tier, but I still have them right, right behind Logan Cooley because I think both of them have had exceptional seasons in, in Europe. They've both shown the ability to do big things on the big stage, especially Slavkovsky winning the MVP at the Olympics, doing what he's doing at the Worlds right now. And, and Juracek's been this fantastic defenseman who's got a little bit of bite to him. He's, he's got the ability to kind of take your head off. He's been suspended a few times in the last couple of years for just beating the crap out of a guy in front of the net and stuff like that. But he's also got the ability to power play a quarterback or quarterback a power play and really be a dynamic force there. So he's a really interesting prospect where I think if you got patience, you can develop him. He could be possibly the best player in this draft if if Shane Wright doesn't end up being what we all kind of expect him to be. 
Just one uh, note, I was looking back at um, some of the, the rankings and stuff that you've done, uh, I believe it was the, the pre-world junior ones. Um, yeah. It was a couple Canadian Hockey League players at the top, and then you don't see the CHL again for a minute. Um, and I'm not going to say, oh, well, the CHL needs to do X, Y, and Z to change that. But do you think there could be any concern from the, the OHL, the Q, and the, the dub that this this was supposed to be the strength of these leagues for a long time, and we've kind of seen that almost wither away over the last little while. A, am I just completely misreading this and overreacting to one year? And B, do you think this is something that those leagues should be concerned about? No, I think, uh, like, I'm looking at my board right now, and I think in the top 12, there's one, two, three CHL players, uh, one from the West, two from the West and one from the w, or OHL. And Shane Wright's obviously from the OHL. Matthew Savoy is in, a, in the top 10 from Winnipeg. And then I have Kevin Korchinski, who's a really fun player out of Seattle. And he plays in the WHL as well. And I think what's happening is we're just starting to realize that the CHL isn't quite as good as we all expected it to. And I mean, I personally have a, a vendetta against the QMJHL. I think everyone in Quebec hates me because I always talk about how that league is a bit of a joke compared to the other two leagues. I think it's a lot closer. And I'd argue that the USHL is probably better than the QMJHL at this point. And I think that league itself needs to find a way to restructure things and get them playing real hockey again and not this pond hockey that they constantly play without defense. But the WHL and OHL are still very strong leagues, but we're starting to realize the value of the NTDP. We're starting to realize the value of the kids playing pro in Sweden, Finland, Czech Republic, Slovakia. And we're seeing these guys like David Juracek, Juris Slavkovsky, Brad Lambert, Joachim Kamel, Simon Nemec come up and be stars from Europe. And we look at the last few drafts. Who are two of the most impressive players from the last couple of drafts? Lucas Raymond and, and uh, Tim Stutzel, who played overseas in their, their draft years. They both played pro leagues in their draft years. I think that value of being able to play against men, even if you're not necessarily producing at a high level, you're getting those reps. And if you're the process is there for a lot of these guys, then you're going to get the scoring eventually when, with the crazy high skill they have. And then when you do watch them play against their, their peers at the World Juniors or World Under-18s, I think Brad Lambert this year is a perfect example of that. Uh, although he only got two games at the World Juniors, he was the best player at the World Juniors, in my opinion. He was an absolute dynamic force, and you saw him make a difference on every shift he was on the ice. So when he went back to the pros and he's playing on a crappy team in Finland, it was a little bit more of a struggle for him because I've, saw, I've seen his team do the legitimately the flying V to break out, which is just a ridiculous <laughs> stack tactic. But it's like, put this guy in an NHL system with NHL players or, or, or in a system where he just has players around him that know what to do. And he's going to be able to get them the puck. He's going to be able to take advantage of plays and, and do a lot of things. So I think the pro experience in Europe is what we're finally starting to value more than what we, we were doing with the CHL, which again, a great league, especially two of the three. And you, you have those players. Yeah, I'm going to shit on the game <laughs> as much as possible. Um, but you have these these leagues where they are producing guys. But I think because there's 60 teams in the w, or in the, in the CHL, 60 plus teams in the CHL, you do get a bit of a watered down effect. Some of the bottom tier teams aren't very good. And we we complain about some of the European leagues, especially Russia, Finland, where like the bottom teams aren't very good. But it's like, yeah, have you watched the OHL lately? Did, did you watch Saginaw this year? Like, they were rough. Like. So it's, it's one of those things where I think people are just starting to finally realize, oh, maybe the CHL isn't quite the end all and be all. Right. Uh, a couple of things. First of all, I completely agree with you on the, the queue. Uh, <laughs> it is, it's hilarious. Oh, this guy scored 65 goals with Ramuski last year. I look forward to both that he scores in the AHL. Exactly. Um, but also <laughs> it, I think 
part of it too, and very much feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I think part of it is we have more access to some of these leagues now. Like we can actually watch some of this stuff instead of these guys just pop into our lives for a couple of weeks of the world junior hockey championships. We see how they do against Canada. And then you look at their stats. Well, this guy scored eight goals. He's getting nine minutes a night. Why am I going to take him over this guy who has put up 195 points by Christmas in Quebec? Like I think being able to see some of these things now has maybe helped us unearth a little bit more in the, the draft prospect world oh for sure i think that's completely on the nose because we're seeing that those guys way more often we're getting the access to video teams are starting to rely on video a little bit more because prior to the prior to the video era especially i think covid's done a really i mean i don't want to say covid's done a good job of anything but covid's done a really good job of forcing teams in uncomfortable positions and forcing them to watch video i I know there's for a fact there's still nhl teams that won't allow their scouts or or won't take any credit for this from their scouts when it comes to watching video and stuff. So it's a weird system. Sometimes in the NHL teams have their own way of doing things, but being forced to watch video, getting advantages of taking those times where you, you do have the video, like the way I always think about it and the way I kind of justify the way I scout is if I, I love to go to live games. I I love Google games live. Anytime I get a chance I'm in Windsor. So I get to go to Flint, the NTDP, Windsor, London, a lot of the OHL teams around here and some of the USHL teams in the States when they come into Plymouth there. But anytime I get a chance to do that, if I go to Flint, I'm going to the game for three hours. I'm driving there for 45 minutes both ways. And you end up wasting five hours almost when I probably could have watched five games realistically without with the programs and stuff we all have now where I don't get that ability to do that when I have to drive, I have to travel, right. I have to do all these things. And you get, there are certain things you get on live viewings that you just don't get on video. So live viewings are important, but the video scouting, the ability, I, I don't care what anyone says one game live versus five uh, on video. You can still get so much out of that, that I think is valuable. And I think teams being forced into that situation, especially with the players from Europe, it's great because now you're starting to get those teams because forever it was Detroit with Hawk and Anderson, their head scout in Europe, just pillaging every good European prospect. <laughs> and their, their team is made up of all these Europeans and they're just winning cups in their late nineties and early two thousands. And now teams are starting to catch up and go, Oh, Hey, we can see European prospects too. And you're seeing the kind of fruits of that labor. Yeah. Um, uh, we talked a little bit before about the, the Flames draft pick. They don't pick till the second round. Uh, most people who are, are following me know me from covering the Flames, so we'll talk about them for a second. Um, looking at the, the second round, the Flames are hoping it's a bit of a later pick than it's projected to be right now. Um, but with, with this second round pick, what type of players are around in that type of a neighborhood for Calgary? I think this year is really interesting because I do think, as I mentioned, there's that stagnation in the development. So there's a lot of guys that have these really high-end traits with a lot of holes in their game still as well. Mm-hmm. I look at a guy like Christian Cairo or, or even a guy like Lane Hudson, where if they fall to the second round, these are incredibly skilled, slightly undersized defensemen who just have the ability to absolutely change the game in a way that we don't see at the NHL level from defensemen outside from guys like Kale McCarr and stuff like that. And well, I don't think either of those guys are going to be Kale McCarr. Like he was drafted high for a reason. And these guys probably won't be. It, it's that upside, that, that ability to kind of go, all right, if we like this player for trait A and B, can we fix trait C and D? And I think that uh, there's a lot of players in that range that are going to have that ability. And you look at a player, again, I go down the list, like Adam Sakura, a kid from Slovakia. We got to see him a little bit at the under 18s and we got to see him at some of the other tournaments internationally and what he's done in his league play. And there's a lot to like about this kid. There's also some holes and some things you need to refine and kind of fix in this game. But if you're patient, if you can do that, if you bring in 
a kid to a good development staff, I think you can do that. So it depends on a team's development staff. It depends on a team's kind of ability to kind of bring these prospects best out of them. But a team like Calgary, I think they do a pretty decent job of it. So it's going to be interesting to see what they kind of do with some of these picks in the second round, because like I said, there's, there's going to be some swings in the second round that are going to wind up being better than top 15 picks. This is probably remarkably unfair because like you just said, it depends on each team's kind of development system and where a guy ends up for, for which team. But when you're looking at these players, is there a trade or two that you're like, you know what? I, I know some of these can get fixed later. I can't leave with him not being good at X or Y. Are, are there a couple of those that are just like, no, that, that one can't be fixed later. I think the one that can't be fixed later is intelligence. And, and mm-hmm. that's almost unfair. Um, <laughs> intelligence and creativity. I think those are the two things that you either have it or you don't. I think there are a lot of players that can make a, a great career in the NHL, not by being intelligent, by being very good, straight line, predictable players. They're going to be, uh, elite level passengers, but they'll never drive a line. They'll never be the guy on a line. And I think if you pair those guys with uh, a guy like Johnny Goudreau or a guy like Matthew Kachuk, and you're like, okay, let them do the work. You get to your spot, figure out what you're supposed to do, do the things you're good at, and they're going to make you better. They're going to accentuate your game. So I think there's a plenty, a plenty of players that do that, but I think intelligence and creativity are two things that I really kind of, if, if that's not there, I, I worry a little bit. But things like skating, I think that can be improved. I, I still don't, would rather a guy be a good skater because mobility is the name of the game in the NHL. But I think when you're intelligent, sometimes you can just get by that. I mean, we watched John Tavares for over a decade now with the Islanders and then in Toronto just kind of not be a very good skater at all, but still be able to put up 80, 75 points every year, be a really decent two-way center and, and figure his game out over his, the course of his career. So we see guys overcome skating. We see guys overcome the a lack of a shot and work on things like that, but we don't see them overcome vision, kind of the, the intelligence. If, if you don't really have that creativity in your game, it's not like you're going to be 30 and all of a sudden go, man, uh, now I'm going to start banking pucks off the wall. Now I'm going to start <laughs> sending pucks through guys, legs, putting it into guys into the triangle in between guys, skate and stick and, and start working through that. That doesn't really come with, with uh, later in your career. Right. The, 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 the abrasiveness to do it a little bit more often does sometimes, but if it's not there at the, kind of this, this stage of your career, it's very rare that that stuff kind of comes along. Looking at um, the, the teams that are left in the playoffs, as we're discussing uh, this, we're at um, seven. We could be down to six by the end of the night. Um, I, I'm always so fascinated by team building. Do, do you think there's anything we can learn from the teams that are, are still around in the playoffs that we can kind of take into the, the draft process? I think the, the obvious one is Tampa Bay with the two back-to-back cups, and they're probably going to win a third this year because they're just a wagon of a team. Um, but no, realistically, I think Tampa Bay is obviously the gold standard. We look at them and we go, that's a modern-day dynasty, essentially. Like We've seen them go to a couple Stanley Cup finals, win a couple, be, lose another one and still be there, and then not blow the team up. I think that's a really important thing. And I know fans in Toronto are kind of debating on that now. I think if Calgary does lose to Edmonton and, and kind of gets kicked out, I think they'll be in that kind of same situation where they're like, do we blow it up? Do we kind of keep it riding? Do we kind of keep pushing? Because you did do so much well this year in, in the regular season. You did do so much well at, at times in the playoffs. So is this time to blow up the team? Is that time stuff like that? You look back to Washington when they won their cup. They won this cup with the same core that they had largely for all the years that they were complete disappointments in the playoffs beforehand, the, the Tampa Bay lightning, they went to the cup final in 2015 and you started to see that triplets line. You started to see some of those guys like Kucherov and Stamkos and all these guys take huge steps. 
and they didn't panic and go, we need to trade Kucherov because he's not forechecking properly or he's not playing defensively. No, they're like, we need to bring in the guys that are going to accentuate those skills. We're going to fill in around the edges and find the right mix. And Tampa Bay's done that at an exceptional level. And I think obviously you'd love, love to kind of copycat them because every league is a copycat league. But I think just being patient, understanding that prospects take time and betting on skill. I think that's the biggest thing that Tampa Bay has done. Getting a guy like Braden Point in, in the second, third round. Getting a guy like Nikita Kucherov in the second round where people were like, he's not coming over because he's Russian, but he was an absolute dominant force at every international tournament in, that he had. Like understanding that skill is still the name of the game, especially in the modern day NHL where it's just continuing to go towards that way. Even in my rankings, when I started writing the blurbs the other day and I wrote the little intro and I kind of explained my little process. And one of the things I brought up was that physicality isn't necessarily the most important thing to me. And it's not that I don't value it. I love physical play, but I need functional physicality. I don't go throwing hits because you can like a hit two seconds after the guy makes a pass does nothing for me, but a hit to separate the guy from the puck and then retrieving the puck. That's excellent. Do that. And you're going to be successful. Find the guys that can kind of fit into the puzzle pieces. And that's, that's going to be the biggest thing. And Tampa Bay does a great job of that. Um, we started things talking about Shane Wright and getting exceptional status. Uh, there has been one player granted that in the WHL, and I would say has lived up to that billing so far in, in Connor Bedard. Obviously not the focus for this year, but he already has people buzzing. Um, in your times, what, what have you seen from Connor Bedard? Uh, the kid's not very good. I don't like the way he plays. <laughs> yeah. um, no, this kid is probably the best hockey player I've ever seen. Like outside of McDavid wow. at the NHL level, Connor, Connor Bedard's ability to just absolutely break a game open and do whatever he wants at times is, is ridiculous. Like we saw at the world juniors this year where he was able to put up the four goal game. We've seen it in the WHO where he basically was the Regina Pats. Like it, it, they weren't a great team and he made them at least entertaining to watch. So you, you watch this kid with his speed, his skill, his ability to process the game, uh, his ability to diagnose play. It's just exceptional. Like the, the exceptional status was certainly deserved for him. And, I, I don't look at any player in the prospect game right now that has even close to the level of game that he has. I think we all thought, Oh, Shane Wright's going to be there just with him." And I didn't really ever see that because Shane Wright plays a little bit of an older school game. He plays that grinded out. I can do whatever you need me to do. I'm just a good coach's kid kind of guy. Whereas Connor Bedard plays that Connor McDavid game where he's like, I'm going to go out there and show everyone I'm the best player in this league on every single night. I'm going to put up three, three points. I'm going to find a way to make everyone around me look good, even if they're not. And he does that every single night. So it's, it's going to be fun to watch whatever team decides to tank hard enough for him next year. Cause I have a feeling there's gonna be three or four that are like, yeah, here's seven AHLers on every single night on the defensive core. And here's half of AHLers on our forward group. And uh, it's going to be really interesting learning a bunch of new names for a few teams next year. <laughs> Yeah, uh, a lot of guys getting traded away for third and fourth round picks um, by the, the trade deadline. Yeah, I, I remember the, the tankathon well. We haven't seen like a, a true one for a little bit, so I, I'm excited to, to get another one here. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for this, man. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, where, where can people find your work? Uh, you can find all my work on the Hockey News. You can find me on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. And yeah, I've got draft rankings coming out uh, middle of or Yeah, kind of like early middle of June. And I've got tons of game tape with Tony videos, which is basically me interviewing some of these prospects and bringing up video on the screen. And we kind of talk about their play with them. So it's really interesting to kind of get their take on why they messed up or how they scored a goal and different things on in their game. So that's a fun thing that I like to do. And uh, you can check all those out at the Hockey News or and they'll be, all be posted on YouTube in June. Awesome, man. Really appreciate you taking the time today. Have a good one.
Yeah, no problem. Have a good one. All right, that is the show. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember, rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. You can follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. You can email the show, CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. Shout out to uh, Waste of Talent for providing the music and shout out to Clearwater Cleaning Solutions for being the studio sponsor. They are your one-stop commercial and residential cleaning company based out of Calgary. They have a fantastic team who are ready to make your life simpler and easier by fulfilling all of your cleaning needs. Like I said, Game Over Calgary will be back tomorrow after the Flames game. I'm hoping to do something before the Flames game, but life is getting in the way. I'm not getting in the way, but life is happening. So uh, a lot uh, a lot to work through, but hopefully I'll be back chatting with you guys very, very soon. Uh, until then, have a great day, everyone. I'm out. <laughs>